0: Welcome to Health Hats, learning on the journey towards best health. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege living in a food oasis who can afford many hats and knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. Most people wear hats one at a time, but I wear them all at once. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. Making health choices and decisions and communicating health information as we learn on the journey toward best health. That's my mission in life in a nutshell. Nowhere have these merged more strongly to support the clinical relationship between regular people and direct care clinicians than in the Open Notes movement. Everyone on the same page. Open Notes is an international movement promoting and studying transparent communication in health care. Helping patients and clinicians share meaningful notes in medical records. Open Notes fosters trust, control, and connection. And for me, Liz Salmi personifies the Open Notes crusade. She's a regular person with passion, smarts, charisma, and endurance. I'm delighted to have her as a guest today. You should listen especially to Liz talk about the community organizing aspect of change management and implementation of evidence-informed innovation. Liz inspires me. Liz, it is wonderful that you could join me today. I've been very excited about the opportunity to hear about what you're doing, and uh, pick your brain. I was trying to remember when we first met.
1: Thank you for having me on the podcast. Super excited. I think I first saw your name on the Society for Participatory Medicine message board, and then through the Twitters or other platforms. But right. I believe we met in person, in real life, for the first Society for Participatory Medicine SPM conference Oh, in, okay. in yes. Boston. I want to say 2017, 2018-ish. Okay, Mm
0: -hmm. cool. So why don't you um, introduce yourself, pick any slice of yourself that you want to introduce? Okay. Um,
1: I'd say an appropriate introduction would be related to your podcast title of Health Hats. I think I have a lot of hats going on. I'll introduce myself in this way. Hello, I'm Liz Salmi. I'm some random person from the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm also a person living with a malignant brain tumor, was diagnosed in 2008. And my background is in communications. I've always been fascinated by how do you take something really complicated and then making it easier to understand. So that's how I approached living with brain cancer with mm-hmm. no healthcare background. Over the last now 12 years of as a person living with brain cancer and I still identify as a patient for sure. You become a volunteer if you become really active in patient advocacy. So it was a. Volunteer, was it was an advisor on various boards, and then eventually started working in healthcare, in uh, palliative care, advanced care planning, end-of-life care as a nonprofit organization, learned to speak a little bit around medicine and work with clinicians. And then fast forward today, I now uh, get to work in academic medicine with Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center on the Open Notes project, which is an opennotes.org, go there. But long story short, they've been studying, it's a research team that's been studying the concept of patients having full access to their medical records, including their clinic notes, for the last 10 years or so. And long story short, when patients have access to their clinic notes, Benefits happen, they um, can remember what happened at the visit, possibly better understand their care, and maybe even trust their doctors more just from the concept of having openness. Yeah, those are the things I'm involved with. And on top of that, I've gotten into this new world of patients being involved in the design and conduct of research. And I've been learning more and leading the way from the brain tumor community side on how we can get more folks living with brain tumors and their care partners involved in
0: research. (laughs) And when you say involved with research, I'm assuming that you're talking about all levels of participation from governance to being part of a clinical study?
1: Yeah, no, thank you for clarifying. I don't just mean being the subject of research, but in the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute or PCORI ethos model of patients and care partners being involved with uh, picking which questions should be explored in research for folks impacted by brain tumors or working with the researchers on the design of, say, uh, an intervention or working with researchers to interpret the, the findings from the research and working with researchers, you know, on the publication of those results in, in academic journals and so on and so forth.
0: Wow, I want to pick at a bunch of those things.
1: Yeah, let's and do so,
0: it. Um, like, okay, so let's start with, I had a conversation the other day with some PCORI folk thinking about the dissemination that leads to implementation. So spreading the word that leads to research results being part of workflow and life flow. And we put all this effort into the academia clinical dissemination, so journals and conferences and stuff like that. And it is so much a partnership. Yet I don't know that we're very good, and when I say we – I don't just mean researchers because, frankly, they stink at communicating to the lay public about research. But I think that even those of us that are involved in research and live in the lay world are not that good at communicating and sharing those results to the people who are going to use them every day in their lives. So, what's your take on that?
1: Oh, research dissemination, communication, and science is the the most important thing, and it's hard. like you said, the the researchers aren't necessarily trained to go out and spread the good word about research. I was hired with the Open Notes team, this research team, specifically to focus on Research dissemination and talking and communicating about the research. Early on, I was not one of the researchers on the team. I am today, many years later. But how do you talk about it? And one of the things I learned about open notes, it's a major culture change for clinicians, especially for physicians and and stuff, to share their notes, which previously were hidden from patients unless they did the full medical records request, but we were not as easily to access. And when we shared our research to, at conferences and through journal articles, like you said, people would read those articles, uh, those clinicians and say, yeah, but I, this isn't for me or my patients won't understand these notes or it's going to increase my workload. And mm-hmm. then we would say, the research shows that this is not going to happen to you and all these great benefits are going to happen. And I thought, Slightly naively, as a patient going into working with this team, screw the clinicians. Let's just talk to the patients, and we're going to have this could be a patient movement where patients will ask for the notes and they will go to the meetings of their hospitals and say, This is something we want. And that was actually a research dissemination strategy we were behind for the first wave of open notes, or maybe like the 2016 to 2018 mm-hmm. wave. We thought people would want this and ask for them. But we learned that when the patient family advisory councils and these really active individuals who would advocate on behalf of other patients who might not even know this was a thing, they could do, they could try really hard to talk to power and more often than not the power, which was the leadership of the hospital or the clinicians would say no. And they couldn't get forward. The health systems that would listen and say, you're right. This is your record. This is about you. Are the woke health systems turned this on, decided to be transparent and share their notes. And we could say Kaiser Permanente in Washington state is a woke health system. And I'm using the millennial yes. term, woke, mm-hmm. just cool, they get it. And there are, when you talk about the, the adoption curve of innovation, you get early adopters and then mm-hmm. some folks come on later on. So there are a couple of health systems like we get this, we, we're going to listen to you. But the vast majority of organizations are like, I don't know about this. And then the power structure of every hospital, by the way, is it's like its own city, it has its own culture, its own family dynamics. Mm-hmm. And you would think everybody's the same. They have the same dynamics. And it's not the case, we've learned. We've learned that it could be one hospital and one guy who's been around forever. uh, It could be everybody wants to do it. But the one guy in like cardiology says, we're not doing this over my dead body. Are we going to do something like open Mm -hmm. notes? No way. And then it stops the conversation. So you're like what do you do with these resistant organizations that aren't open to change or don't listen to the patient and family advisory councils. So then which we thought open notes could be this patient consumer movement mm-hmm. when you get to that power hierarchy and and you can't go you, no one shall pass no change will happen so what do you need to do for that rest of the large majority of folks. And that's where we learned a lot more about open notes is not a health IT project. It is change management. You need to, there's like a, a political process of someone, some clinician needs to become a champion within the organization and community organize around every single department and talk to them and bring presentations and mm-hmm. hold their hands and ask, answer questions and set up presentations. And so the health systems that, brought on open notes later, the dissemination aspect was less about papers and conference presentations and posters, and more about community organizing and storytelling and handholding. And sometimes the storytelling or patient advocates would be brought in to tell a little story, or it was a clinician saying, my patients read my notes, and it's changed my practice, and they love me now, Mm -hmm. and it's okay. So dissemination Mm -hmm. isn't, the the when you have a new in in a intervention it's really exciting it from our work in open notes, the dissemination is not just the paper and it's not paper will sit on red somewhere but it's it for us we've become this like support team to mm-hmm. the clinician champions within organizations
0: that is really profound
1: it... it's unique though if yeah. open notes was it's good intervention. It's like a new medicine, a new, not a physical thing you take, but a new possible way of communicating with patients. And it's not like we're saying, we're asking people to take this drug or, and then we're convincing mm-hmm. everybody to start prescribing right. a thing. I, I don't know. I don't think our model would work the same way with every new innovation. I, I don't have know. a
0: feeling that hand-washing was the same thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, don't sell it short. Because I think that, so I'm a nurse and I've had a career in healthcare management at many levels. And I think you're right. I've never really thought about it that Mm -hmm. way. But I think your frame of community organizing, I think about it, I have thought about it as that I'm a catalyst for change and that a lot of the work was really not about science. And Lord knows we can see now that in this COVID world, it's certainly not about science. It is so much about community. It's and true. and so I think a chew on that, but I really think you're on to something really important. And it's maybe the what activists like us can do, whether it's about maternal mortality rates or it's about vaccination, or it's about open notes. It is about community organizing. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing you say is that instead of thinking about that lay people, patients and caregivers are going to uh, disseminate now, on different channels like social media, popular media, that maybe it's instead of focusing on that, it's focusing on how do you become a community organizer wherever it is you have influence. That's pretty profound.
1: I love that you said hand washing because that's public health. And we've right. seen what's happened, and years later, washing your hands is a good idea gosh there's so many directions i'll go but i'll focus on something i've been thinking about lately is that when you have access to your full medical record that's helpful but as we move into a new space in the coming years where it will be a federal mandate that health systems that didn't turn on open notes early will now be required as of april 5th 2021 as a result of the 21st century cures act to share everything with patients through their their digital portals. So we whatever what we've the good fight we've been fighting and working with the community organizers will just be the law of the land and suddenly all this information will be shared with patients. And so we have two groups of constituencies, clinicians and hospitals and then the public. And there's going to be a lot of clinicians in hospitals that are anxious. They're anxious right now. Oh, my gosh, I didn't want to share my notes, but now I'm sharing my notes. I'm a social worker. Open notes isn't about me, and now i got to do this. So there's that group, which we got to calm and soothe. And then there's a future campaign of now that the notes are there, do people know the notes are there, or the full record is there? Are they going to read it? How are they going to use it? Because it's not introduced to them. I, to be honest, I mentioned a, I am a person living with a serious chronic condition, a brain tumor, and I was very engaged. I had no idea my record included details like the doctor's notes until 2017. So, eight years later. So, if even the very engaged might not know about all of the details in the record and they might not care, but those who are dealing with serious stuff, may benefit from reading that information or being Mm -hmm. able to review it later, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And we can get into that because I know you have questions. But Mm -hmm. there, I think, is now a whose job is it to provide education about digital health literacy, what's in the record, and then who you share that information with now that these records can be connected to other platforms and apps and Uh. tools and those third-party groups, you, you, I might be sharing with Apple Health Records or others my whole record because I, I like it, but it's what are they going to do with it and right. those privacy policies and stuff. So there's this digital health literacy space mm-hmm. I can see needing to be developed ASAP or now or in the coming
0: years. Wow. So the two things that come, that have happened to me with Open Notes is two levels. One of them... Is that I get some of my care at Bethes Israel Deaconess, which was the start of this movement. And my neurologist, my challenge with my neurologist, who's an open notes advocate, is that his notes are incomprehensible. And and so I've had these conversations with him. What I need to know from your notes is: am I progressing? should I get immunized for COVID? How should I get immunized? So the first thing I had brought to him was this issue of your notes just, he's just cutting and pasting all this like jargon. And I told him, I need to know, I wanna know every visit, am I progressing or not? And he said, oh, that's right here. And he scrolls down into the fourth screen and he shows me a scale that he puts in all of it. And I said, why don't you put that on top? Because that's what I want to know. I Mm -hmm. I have a progressive disease. I want to know, am I progressing? And and he said, oh, that's a great idea. Never did it. It's okay. But it just points to me that just because you have a win of open notes does not mean that you're done. Mm -hmm. It's like now I'm educating this very engaging clinician who is like a dream clinician. When I go in, we have two outcomes for me. My The outcomes that we always track, first thing we talk about is, have I fallen and am I still playing the saxophone? And those are really important outcomes mm-hmm. for me on so many different levels. And I love that he could engage on that level. But that he has this note that's incomprehensible that actually does not include falling or saxophone, even though those are our agreed upon outcomes right. that we track, is not in those notes. It is, oh, so
1: falling and saxophone are not in your notes as part of the social history? That, I am asking a totally random question. You, which you is are, not... and I'm thinking about it. I'm
0: trying to, I guess if I have fallen, it's in there.
1: Okay. So we're at an interesting point. So the notes historically were not written for patients and that yeah. hen- hence the dilemma with, or hence the whole point of studying this concept and why it's so radical. And it was, so the clinical notes, the SOAP note, which is an acronym for subjective, objective assessment and plan mm-hmm. is an acronym for how to write a clinic note. And that format was I I want to say created by Dr. Larry Weed. Mm -hmm. And if you go on YouTube, you can put in Larry Weed's soap note and watch this one hour grand rounds presentation. He does in, I think it's 1971 Mm -hmm. about- the problem-oriented medical record, and hey, and it's in black and white, and it's like a guy speaking all 1971-style language. It's the biggest nerds. If you're a big nerd about clinical documentation, go on YouTube and watch it. But he's talking about how records back in the day were not standardized, and people would write whatever they want. It was really confusing, and you couldn't follow uh, the patient's care. But when you standardize the note-taking process, you can hand over a chart to another clinician, and they can scan it and say, okay, here's how the patient is doing and Mm -hmm. that way of formatting a patient's chart has continued since the late 60s to today and so when these paper records were brought over to digital they just copied what was going on in paper and didn't update it for we might reframe how we do things when things are on digitized on the web there are when open notes was studied originally as a uh, pilot project, no, none of the clinicians were told change the way you write because patients are reading. It was a study of what if patients saw what you're already doing Mm -hmm. and those, and this has been around for 10 years. So that many clinicians in practice today still are doing what they were trained to do. And that's how, what they're trained to do. Actually, I've heard many medical students are not really trained much on clinical documentation. It becomes learned by you know trial by fire like you suddenly learn your first few days of charting of a patient in real time what everybody else is doing so they learn from each other and then mm-hmm. keep doing what they learned so we're moving into a space where now the open notes is at 250 organizations around the country. Millions of patients could read their notes if they log into their portal and find them. Patients are reading the notes as they were designed and taught to clinicians for years since the, the late 1960s. And some of the studies show when they say, do doctors change the way they document, like your doctor, it sounds like your doctor, your neurologist hasn't changed anything. Mm-hmm. And we're we're learning from a couple studies that about a third of doctors... Do nothing to change their documentation. A third decide to they experiment, and maybe make their notes longer or shorter. They make a do a little bit of changing, and then others um, do extreme change. So like everyone's figuring out now that they know there's an added audience, mm-hmm. what should they do? There is no understanding of what's the best way. Mm-hmm. There are studies of what do patients think of these notes? Do they understand them? In in multiple studies, around 96% of patients say they understand most all of their notes. In some cases, there's a new paper that was published in 2020 in the Journal of General Internal Medicine about patients. What do they think? What do people like you think? What do people like I think of the notes? And 93%-ish say that they note describes the visit, it's accurate, but around 6%, and you might fall into the 6%, and I'm sure the number ranges from 5 to 10% or something, mm-hmm. depending on who you're studying, mm-hmm. but that they think, this note could be better, <laughs> yeah. or I have a suggestion for how I might get more out of this note in yeah. some way. And those suggestions, and this is not my research, but people I work with, and but I'm a fan of talking mm-hmm. about the research, yeah. those patients say, this could be improved related to structure. Like you were saying, the important mm-hmm. thing is at the bottom, and you're like, I wish this was at the top. So structure, um, some of the content, jargon, and then the accuracy. So, yeah. oh, you said yeah. my mom had breast cancer, but really it's my sister who had breast cancer, things like that. Yeah. And there are really innovative clinicians right now who are advocating that SOAP note structure, subjective, u- objective assessment and plan mm-hmm. be flipped where the Mm -hmm. acronym is say, say the assessment first, because that's not just what the patient wants to see first, but that's also what my colleagues want to see first if they end up in their clinic. Mm -hmm. So put the assessment and then the plan. The assessment might be Danny still is doing awesome on a saxophone. Danny didn't fall since I saw him last. That's the assessment. And then the plan is keep going and go ahead and get a COVID test.
0: Yeah. Um. And right. then do
1: the subjective objective, like his yeah. neurological evaluation yeah. was X, Y, and Z. So Interesting. We, we, so there's a, a crew of folks who are thinking about changing mm. clinical documentation, mm-hmm. regardless of open notes, really, right. because it would be a better tool right. because it's been around since the late 1960s right. and it might look better in an EHR and a quick scan mm-hmm. and without a ton of scrolling, but it could also benefit patients as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at Abridge.com, abridg or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. Let's talk about another thing. Oh, okay. So the other thing that seems to come up to me about open notes is I'm shocked at the errors Mm. that I see. And for me, I'll tell two stories. One of them is mine and one of them is somebody else's. So my story is that my father died um, when he was 45 of the second heart attack and I have multiple sclerosis and they're connected. They're connected because when I got diagnosed, the neurologist said, you've had this for 25 years. Mm. And so what would happen is I would have an episode. I would get a cardiac workup which would be negative. And then whatever episode I had would be over. And so for 25 years, like twice a year or three times a year, I would get this cardiac workup. And I cannot get out of my medical record that I have heart disease. Yeah. When I've had okay, so that's one story. Another story is that I have a friend who is like Five, three, five, four weighs 137 pounds, and somebody typed in that she weighed 317 pounds. And she cannot get obesity off of her problem list, mm-hmm. which you can imagine has really mine is more annoying. Hers has serious implications Absolutely. in terms of dosage and everything. And it is so difficult. To get yeah. errors changed. And so, by people seeing their notes, that must happen more often. And so, why? So, what about that? Why isn't it part <laughs> what of is it the deal with to this? Fix?
1: Yeah. I, so, I mentioned a date a few minutes ago April 5th, 2021, the day when everybody's going to have easier access to their full record. We know from open notes research about patients finding errors in records, now that they're reading them more, that about 20% of people say they find an error or something wrong with the records. And if you apply that number to now suddenly the whole country, everyone who receives care is um, going to see the records. Doesn't mean they're going to. But those who do, there's a chance that people will find something wrong or inaccurate and in the study of who finds something are inaccurate, they also said to their clinicians, "Do you think what the patient said is accurate is actually inaccurate?" And about half of what the patients say are inaccurate, the clinicians agree that's really serious so so what is an inaccuracy so Uh, this work is by uh, Dr. Segal Bell. She's our leader in patient safety work and open notes. And so I'm just like a peon, you know, learning from her, reading the papers, Mm -hmm. and now um, a coder in a future project we're doing right now. And so learning more. I'm not the expert, but I'm learning. And when you look at what patients say is an inaccuracy, it can vary from something like Oh, they say I take this 350 milligrams of this medication, but it's actually 300. And that's little, but medication accurate to have the medication list accurate is so important, but it's, it might seem little, or there's the thing about the family history. Oh, I said my mother had breast cancer, but you said it was my mother, but really it's my sister. People having disagreements about their weight, the the person might say, I disagree with what the physical exam, and that they're saying my weight was 150, but really I think I'm 120 pounds. So is it is, a yeah, subjective or an objective thing? But then mm-hmm. there's really important stuff that wrong side, oh, my left knee, I said my left knee hurt, but they said it was my right knee. And the wrong sided documentation is a big deal. A and that's st- that stuff goes unnoticed until yeah. the person the patient is reading the record. And you think about a doctor, they might have their eyes on a thousand charts, but really you only have your eye on one chart. And And you're the
0: expert on that chart.
1: Yeah. And and there can be like disagreements around, but there are things that are facts and things that are not facts. So as we move into a new reality where people have easier access to this information, I think there will be more requests to update the record, to remove a thing. And To be honest, working in the open note space and knowing this federal mandate is coming soon, there are concerns from health systems and the clinicians who are a part of this rollout who are like, What are we gonna do with our medical records department? Do we need to beef up person power to respond to these things? Who responds? Is it the doctor who had the typo or is this a major disagreement in the care overall? So, for the most part, the things are minor and it will be like, Hey, you said left knee, it should be right knee. And the clinician will go, you're right, it is, I that was a typo on my part, or dictation error, or I hit the wrong drop-down menu, and they agree the record should be accurate. But it's, for the most part, like, little things like that are a big deal, but they're little things.
0: Yeah, but uh, there's also, so I see six different specialists that use three different systems, and the idea of getting my my cardiac history off three different records mm-hmm. is daunting. Anyway, yeah. all right. So the one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is the the behavioral health notes. Mm-hmm. Whether it's mental health or substance abuse notes. So what's happening with that? What's the open notes and that those kinds of notes?
1: Yeah. So there is research into the space of sharing mental health, behavior health notes, social work notes, that There's real research in that area. The original work in that space was started at Beth Israel, of course, with Steve O'Neill. He's part of, he's our mental health liaison. Mm It's awesome. If you went to opennotes.org and found the mental health section, you'll see an overview of that as well as links to many published research papers. Now say we've, we, the work that was done at Beth Israel that Steve O'Neill figured out was that people made the notes part of the therapeutic alliance between the patient and the clinician. They would go over them together. The concern from many other mental behavioral health clinicians is patients are going to read this and get extra obsessed with certain things. But really the way you, and I'm not a mental health professional, so this is what I've learned from other folks' work. But if you're concerned about somebody who's obsessing or paranoid, the note would say, Danny's thinking this, but we discussed X, Y, and Z. We agreed together this. And in this note is a reminder that together we talked about this and he's going to work on X, Y, and Z. So there becomes this kind of Mm co-production process in it. And, this work, the VA, Veteran Health, Veterans Affairs Health Administration, they've been doing open notes long before open notes was studied by us. And they've been doing open notes and mental health for years. And so their oh. expert is a different guy named Steve Dobshaw. Mm-hmm. And he's done a ton of published work in the space, including a whole toolkit to help clinicians and patients work together to use the note as part of the therapeutic process. So that's another person folks.
0: Wow, that's great.
1: And as we move into this April 5th date, those notes must also be shared as part of this federal rule that I keep mentioning. Yeah.
0: All right. So um, wrapping up, what should I be asking you that I'm not? (sighs) Or what should we be talking about that we've missed?
1: Oh, man, you told me to prepare for this, and I did not. I would say what's next for things like open notes is a good one. There's actually a, a, a number of people I've talked to who are helping Shepard as we get closer to this date where open notes is a law of the land. I'm putting quotes around that law of the land. And And to share what we've learned from working with at least 250 organizations who flipped the switch and started to be open and then helping everybody else. And there's Mm -hmm. thousands of health systems around the country. And so we've been open about that, but I've had folks say, so when this is, ha- are you done researching this? Is it over? <laughs> and we're like, no, we're still researching this, but in more nuanced ways. And in mm-hmm. I'd say sometimes spinoff ways. So I mentioned our notes, the idea yeah. of patients being involved and like adding and contributing to the note and having that voice in there. So that's something we're doing something called our diagnosis, which is, I mentioned Segal Bell, the, the mm-hmm. person who focuses on safety, but If, say, you're reading your notes and then you find something that's incorrect, like building a tool to click on that part of the left-right inaccuracy and then flagging what was wrong. So you, in real time, can say, hey, here's where it is, and it's done digitally. Mm -hmm. So we're working on a tool right now to pilot we're working with Beth Israel and Boston Children's. It's going to be first piloted in at a children's hospital, mm-hmm. so parents are involved. And, and we're working with patient family advisory counselors on the language, because if you're building a tool where patients are saying what's wrong, it needs to be in patient language. Mm. And we're doing that in Spanish, too, after the English version mm-hmm. is done. So there's mm-hmm. our diagnosis. We're also working on a project around EHR proxy access. So I have access to my clinic my patient portal, but if I'm really sick and brain cancer gets wild, my proxy, which is my husband, Brett, he might, he'll be logging in, but most patients do not share their EHR login with their proxies. Usually what happens, large majority of care partners will log in as the patient and then the doctor's confused saying who's writing to me right now because clearly this person who's not doing well with brain cancer is not writing this fully formed paragraph long form so right right we're working with three health systems around the country around their proxy portal registration rate and then the communications tools around that Mm -hmm. i could keep going on the projects we have going on Wow, this really interested fascinating Yeah, we're interested in advanced care planning, open notes. We're interested in social determinants of health. And there's the effort by the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT to standardize how social determinants are documented in the record. But then the question is... For folks who are of populations who, various populations that have the social determinants being documented, how will they feel about reading those things about themselves and their record? Mm-hmm. How do we document that in a way that is culturally appropriate? Mm-hmm. So that's another project for working wow. on.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the sky's the limit. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> hats off. You're doing some amazing, like I knew you were doing amazing work, but I didn't know the extent of it.
1: It's, it, it one thing leads to the next and i'm also really proud i'm also really proud that t- to be part of the team that the folks who lead this work s- thought to take a risk to hire someone who's a very l- loud patient advocate <laughs> who We've got professors of medicine at the Harvard Medical School on our team. And they're all, they're the PhDs and the MDs and so on. And that in the meetings, they're like, is this right, Liz? And constantly bringing me in. And then I don't know if anyone else has done this in academic medicine. And so I hope I want to continue to do a good job. And that perhaps other really innovative researchers and folks working on solutions in healthcare think, Just like PCORI puts you on the board of governors and anointed you that folks like us can, when the next innovative group comes around, they're like, let's get on our team and, you know, pay them to, and and continue to mentor them so they learn for the entire time that they're there. Brilliant. Yay.
0: This is great. Thank you so much. We could uh, talk for quite a bit longer, but.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Till next time. Till
0: next time. There you go.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's lovely
0: to see you. And um, I'm glad you're doing so well and you're doing such amazing work. If there's anything I can do for you, you know where I live.
1: (laughs) That's right. Thank you.
0: Oh, my goodness. Let me catch my breath. Liz shared her story from communication professional to patient with a brain tumor to a student of brain tumors and self-advocacy, to advocacy for others, to researcher, to student of change management, and most recently, to community organizer. Clearly not a straight line, but a burst of enthusiasm and activity. Many of my fellow patient caregiver activists wow me with the depth and breadth of their work all while managing self-care and caregiving. In just a second, I think of Jerry Lynn Baumblatt, Janice Tufty, Penny Cowan, Freddie White Johnson, Morgan Gleason, Mike Middleman, Alexis Snyder, Teresa Wright Johnson, Marianne Sterling, Casey Quinlan. They all have similar stories and expertise and impact. They're gold mines of passion, thoughtfulness, connection, capacity. They've all absorbed a gut punch of dashed dreams, crippling pain, stringent doubt. Yet they've rebounded like coiled springs in service to us. It makes me want to laugh, cry, and scream. Thanks, Liz. Thanks all for what you do for us. You provide hope. In an infected and divided world. Onward. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources on my website, www.health-hats.com slash pod please subscribe or contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.